I think you guys are gonna be like, she just repeated everything that happened in worship. That was unremarkable. And I'm really happy that Spirit seems to have organized it that way. Thank you for the music. Thank you for letting me be here. Uh, like Devin said, uh, we met at seminary, and uh, I was really grateful. He's very well respected among his classmates as a um, really sincere collaborator and is really valued um, amongst his peers for his ability to do that. Um, and my childhood bestie calls this church home since fourth grade, Jenny Godfrey. She's not here today, but this, she calls this place her church home. And uh, my colleague, Erin from Alaska, she's an innovator there in the United Methodist Church, is here today. And I already feel like I've made so many new friends. Uh, Jake and Riley, you have to keep me. So thanks for having me. Um, and when I got invited to share this week and come and talk to you guys, I was sincerely excited because Devin was telling me about your guys' new building and just some transition and getting more established. And I was really excited for the community that you guys are now accessible to in this very fixed way. Uh, I was excited because when I came and visited as a guest here before the pandemic, uh, I felt really comfortable. I, people were just themselves. It didn't feel like anybody was taking off themselves to come in here and put on pretenses uh, in your last location. And there were children who were like running around and acting like children, and that was okay. And that was really nice. Uh, the coffee was good. <laughs> Things were being prepared like when I walked in, which was also really nice because it made me feel like um, it was okay like to be in process. It kind of like symbolized that to me. And uh, the music, uh, the song we sang today, the Peace Will Make Us One, it was the first time I had heard it when I came as a guest here so many years ago, and I just sobbed, and I sobbed again today. Um, the music is really, really good here. Um, and when I heard Devin preach, you know, I know him as a classmate, we read each other's posts, we analyze and do academia and intellectual blah, 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 scholarly stuff together, but getting to watch him preach and um, knowing that he had the queer and affirming information on his website was different than getting to hear him talk about it like in his sermon with like this real gentle spirit and I was really ministered to so I was really excited to come back um, and I'm curious this morning why you guys come back and I sincerely invite a shout out like is it the coffee <laughs> Thanks, Felicia. Felicia? Felicia? Felicia, thank you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel like marketing. It feels real. Yeah. safe space and that's like an ongoing work right like we never get to say oh we figured it out we get to keep learning from new friends who help us know like ooh, that hurt actually that was ouch and we go oh okay I'll adjust I want you to feel welcome there's real hospitality here it feels like that anything else anybody want to shout out
I'll name that I was allowed to sing out loud, even though I'm so not qualified to be in the band. Thanks for that. <laughs> so there's value added. And before I get into the good news I'm going to share today um, that I want to invite us to hold together, I want to give a trigger warning. I'm going to talk about some stuff that's hard. And um, you don't need this permission from me, but I want to reaffirm that you're the best expert on you. And if any words I share trigger grief or hard things that you're not wanting to process in community, or it's not right for you right now or whatever, it's okay for you to like, just take out your phone, leave the room, you know, flip me off from the back, I'll catch you, I'll catch clue. Like do what you need to do. Um, as an innovator in the United Methodist Church, it means part of my responsibilities are coming up with different ways to do church. And if you'll throw up that first slide, what that looks like right now looks like me running this coalition um, on behalf of the Washington Healthcare Alliance, a partnership with my school district where we run prevention services and I operate as their prevention specialist. And I'm about as qualified for that as like the shepherd boy David was to be the leader of Israel. I have no training in that other than the fact that I've been my entire life um, a, a victim of um, series of abuses that our coalition works to look at the city level and say what's happening on the city level that potentially is so accessible that people will inevitably just enculturate into behaviors that are harmful for the entire community and what can we do to help that so if you'll show me the next slide as a prevention specialist, um, all prevention, prevention teams, they're called CPWIs, they're paid for by the legal cell of alcohol and cannabis, and they pay community members to gather and to analyze what are the ways that perhaps alcohol, cannabis, childhood delinquency, teen pregnancy, violence, what are the ways that those things exist um, that we can maybe give back to the community and prevent these particular um, ways that we express our lives through cannabis and alcohol from being contributors to harmful behavior. Um, so a portion of taxes that you pay toward that go to paying for programming in cities. Um, you might have one here in, uh, in Bellevue. And you have to analyze all this data. And if you can understand what this chart means, can you explain it to me later? Because I've been doing this work now for almost a year, and I, I'm still like, this, this is not how my brain works. Um, but you basically are looking at what are the behaviors in your city, where can we step in earlier, where can we be helpful earlier, and helping there be opportunities that are positive. So the next slide, um, it shows us that we're looking to create more protective factors. And I'm sharing all this prevention science with you because um, it's in a moment, I hope you recognize how brilliantly relative this is to mission gathering. As a protective factor, this is anything. It is a characteristic of an individual, a family, a community that is associated with lowering the likelihood of problem outcomes. And so there's been extensive research recently done in prevention science that has analyzed what are the things that we can do um, civically that can detour behaviors that people then themselves would say, oh, that really wasn't a healthy outlet. Like, I had to cope, and this was the like, most accessible tool available to me, and then it turned out actually not being healthy for me. And what can we do to offer protective factors that would counterbalance how accessible some of these unhealthy um, options are? We call those risk factors. So if you'll show the next slide. 
Um, this is just a small infographic. This is how my brain works. I'm like, oh, there's a picture. Okay, I get it now. Um, and it kind of shows here when these things are normalized on this side, um, the risk factors, you're more likely to go in that direction. When we have more protective factors, um, then we're able then to have options to cope. And even if they're balanced in a community, it can be really difficult for um, people to self-identify what might be healthy for them. So we try to maximize protective factors. And these things that you see in this particular um, list of protective factors, I want to name that these things happen here. These things that like our scientists are now going, oh wow, like this whole some people some people commune in these like faith um, type of circles and some people commune on their roller derby team and some people etc. They're really recognizing like, oh, we, we really need a stronger emphasis on people being connected to communities that support these kind of behaviors. Um, next slide. Ultimately, um, the Research Institute for Stronger Communities, um, and again, this is not related exclusively to faith um, communities, this is basically the statement. If you can improve the relationship, you can improve the outcome. Super simple, and it sounds like something that goes on a bumper sticker, um, but it's real science. It's real hardcore science, and the reason I'm sharing this with you today is because I want you to know that the science, not just the text, like the scriptural text that we struggle with, like, oh, what's the relevance of this biblical narrative, and da-da-da-da, not just that kind of text. We have recent data that tells us that hope literally saves lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I don't mean hope saves lives in like a hallmarky, like it's so cute and you can like put it on a like on a little plaque next to a little wine glass and display it and that's just like a little feel-good moment kind of way. I mean it in like the streets of Bellevue, like the density of anxiety on our school playgrounds kind of way. Like in the, I'm always working really, really hard to try to prove that I'm capable and competent and I am suffocating myself in my own self-perceived inadequacy kind of way. When I say hope saves lives, I'm talking about hope that really having a relationship literally changes neuropathways in people's brains that saves lives here and now. Like the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Like salvation now saving lives. We all are trying to navigate the unavoidable pain that kind of comes with existing in a world where in our Western culture we've become very like compartmentalized. We've become isolated, we become so independent that our like wiring of our reptilian brains that want to be in a tribe feel desperate to prove and compete so we can think we belong anywhere and then maybe think we don't. And we're trying to navigate this world that is steeped in the systemic effects of the sinfulness of injustice. It's really overwhelming. So I share this science because you guys are very well positioned to nurture this community and one another in a way that literally does save physical lives, and that is real-life good news. And I grew up being taught that good news is worth sharing. I grew up being taught that in a type of church that was actually the same affiliation as 
Miss Ann Hicks over there. Um, meaning that the good news story that I heard was that I suck. And I suck a lot, but everyone does. But it's okay because, like, God knows I suck. So God sent Jesus, and then Jesus came to tell me that I suck. But, like, it's okay because he doesn't suck. And he's like, he's like, a, like an admittance ticket, and if I hang out with him, I can be like, I'm here with Jesus. And then I can do all these things that I still suck at, and I continue to suck, but like as long as I acknowledge how bad I suck, then I'm okay. Anyway, it wasn't good news. Uh, it, was, it wasn't exciting to share that story. It felt inauthentic. It felt humiliating. And it also felt like I was like trying to convince somebody else to like think how I think and believe what I believe. And like even though Jesus was sincerely a positive experience here, not within my faith community, but here and within me, um, telling somebody else, like, here's the prescription for which if you follow this list, you're guaranteed to suck a little less. Um, This just didn't work for me. And as a person who's always been genuinely pluralistic and seen love show up in a plethora of beautiful ways, it kind of made me feel awkward about, like, how do I invite somebody into a thing that works for me without it feeling like I'm trying to, like, tell them that my thing is the thing and their thing is maybe not a thing. I really struggled with that. So today, I want to tell you about sharing the good news that this place is a real space where you can improve relationships and improve outcomes from a very practical standpoint, not from the standpoint of, and if they complete this Bible study, we can erase all your pain and suffering. Congratulations. You name all 66 books of the Bible, and suddenly you're traumatized no more. That's obviously not the brand of Jesus that we want to invite people to, and it's okay that that's not the brand of Jesus. In fact, I would say thank you for not advertising that kind of narrative. So what can you say that feels authentic and real and sincere? One thing I hope that you can say is the coffee's good. I get to go to this place where I hang out with these other people and we're all just kind of trying to figure it out. And we have a story, and we tell the story of Jesus, and for some of us, it like really works, and for some of us, we're just kind of trying it on, and we don't all think the same, and we don't all have to. But I'm not by myself. And no matter how I show up, the table is set for me. In fact, on your website, it says that the table of grace is available, that I can receive communion regardless of my background, my financial stability, my race, my ethnicity, my sexuality, my gender, my religious affiliation, that's my favorite one, and that all are welcomed and affirmed, and I love your welcome statement, and that is real-life good news. And the science says that you guys creating that and stating it every time, the science says that creates hope, and that hope literally saves lives in a time where hope feels inaccessible. Apart from the hope of the story of Jesus, the hope that there is a space where I can just come and say, I don't know, I don't know that I'm this. And I don't know that this works with any of that. But I'm allowed to just be here saves lives. It's good news. It's good news that this is a place where it can grow. It's good news we're sharing. It's good news that says you can just you here and you can do it in community that creates the hope that literally can change the world by rewriting those neural pathways. That makes hope salvic because it offers another option 
than trying to assimilate? Hmm. Show me that next slide, please. So um, they came up with a list of what community, um, and it doesn't have to be community this big. It can be community like, you know, Devin and I going out for coffee. What community elements make people's brain rewire to choose hope? This is one of the assets they talk about. They talk about expressing care. And then because culturally, what expressing care looks like can be wildly different for each of us. They kind of gave these examples of what it could look like. And I would like to say that these are some of the things we talked about right at the open, about feeling sincere, being able to be here, the passing of the peace where we just chat, that that kind of stuff is science. That now the institution of science is looking at communities like this and saying, please, please be visible. Science can't keep up with the need to care that is so great in our communities. There's this really, really interesting, interesting statistic in prevention science that says if you invite somebody out for tea, if you send them a text message that just says, my day sucks, feeling pretty lost today, how's yours? And they don't text you back. Or if you say, hey, I have this church thing I do. I know that's kind of a, but do you want to try? I actually really like these people. And they go, ugh. That even in that situation, the science says that that, the opportunity to know that they can, that they're welcome, is a counter deterrent and increases protective factors. Just telling them that there's this place. And you don't have to change the way you dress, and you don't have to pretend you're straight like I did for a lot of years. <laughs> you don't have to pretend that like you have it together. You can just like show up, and that's okay. <sighs> that, without them even saying yes or even responding to the text message, that changes brains, and it and it combats hope's worst enemy. Hope's worst enemy. The opposite of hope is apathy. And as a trauma survivor myself. Um, and let me be clear, that's not past tense, that's like ongoing work. As a person who continues to survive her story every day. When I think of apathy, I think, man, that's an appropriate response. If you've ever felt depressed, been clinically depressed, hurt, rejected, utterly destitute, or like me, so full of the intense anger that I didn't get to pick the environment that left me so damaged, it's really exhausting, and it's really, really hard to maintain those understandable and justifiable responses. The demand of my emotions to continue to process those is hard. So at some point, some of us shut down. We give up. It seems safer not to feel than to feel that. I bet some of us here today have felt that way that I'm not the only one in the room. Maybe some of us right here, right now. Maybe somebody we love. And I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry that we can't have enough protective factors to not experience that in our bodies in ways that make us feel disconnected with ourselves and with one another, and that we feel the need to perform for one another because we don't trust it, I'm sorry. And that suffering 
It's welcome here. And that's good news. It's good news that you don't have to pre-repair yourself to come in here and receive care. And what does care look like? It doesn't look like, come in here and Devin will tell you all the Bible verses so that you can solve all your life in three easy steps. We're not fixing each other. We're not telling each other how to do it right and better. We're just dwelling with the reality of our journeys and knowing that some of our people sitting beside us are in that place, man, that's heavy. So here's some more good news. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, hey, you heavy? You overwhelmed? Come here. Like you're specifically invited if you're in that camp. We're not tolerating, we're not making room for those also. Like you are the specific called out community. That's really good news. Jesus says, find rest for your souls in this place where we don't have to perform. And that's such good news. And I wonder what we can do to be on purpose, people like that, who say, yeah, come, come with all that. We can model it by admitting our own place, our own journey, telling our own story, by doing these things, by just kind of showing up. We just show up. We don't distract. We don't come up with a way to escape that mess. We let it be there. We make that dwelling with one another accessible and visible. And that's good news that offers the hope that saves the lives. And now hear me, I do believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is liberating and healing once you get to the point that you can de-weaponize all the stigma that has been attached to that. But so are the people in whom that spirit dwells. You. You who set the table. You who come. You who make kingdom come every Sunday because you show up. You model a different way of existing relationally that is absolutely relevant in spite of, including, with or without all of the story and dogma that we wrestle with and contend with and love and fight with. Where we don't hide our humanity, but we love on it. I have to read this quote from one of our... uh, One of our professors, actually, at school, she says it this way, to me, beloved community is definitely about joy and fullness of being. It's where you get to express the complexity of who you are and share the richness of our gifts with one another and the whole community. And we've started that hard work. It makes our vision possible. But you see, beloved community is also about listening to one another's stories Yeah, the beautiful and inspiring parts, but also the painful parts, the indicting parts, the parts that make me recognizable in my personal brokenness, our community's brokenness, and they know that they fit. Without this sleeves rolled up, raw and authentic way of being, we only pretend that we're beloved community. But groups like this, Groups like this remind us that Jesus hung out with people on the margins of society and didn't condemn those who didn't fit into the social norms. 
norms, and on a good day, that's what church looks like. So church, so mission gathering, you're the light of the world. You're the light of Bellevue. You're the light of your workplace. Not because you have it all figured out, because you're willing to show up just like you are, and it sets other people free to do the same thing. You show me the next slide. You're going to have a copy of this um, go home with you, uh, or in an email. This is an example. Um, this is put out by the Trauma Institute of what, how people can identify when their trauma history is being stimulated. It's probably hard to see in the text from where you are, but um, maybe Devin can forward it to you in the email. And it has all these ways that we can go, oh, I'm doing that thing again when we get stuck in performance mode. And according to the Trauma Institute, if you'll show the next slide, there are these tools that just look like really cute Pinterest-like suburbia white mom things to put on like their yoga mats. Um, but they're real. These are backed by science. And they're also, they're good, they're good if you're just ready to work on relationship with you. And they're also good to do in community. And so this little mini toolkit are some ways that you can invite people. You can obviously invite them here. And you can invite them into some of these things. And these are real ways that we're offering hope and changing the world. That'll be in the email, too. Next slide. So when I say you're the light of the world, I want to close with this gospel reading. I like this version. It's the message version. And it says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill or a remodel of a church. If I make you a light bearers, don't you think? Do you think I'm going to hide you underneath a bucket? Do you? No, I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I have put you here on a hilltop, on a, night stand, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father in heaven. You pray with me? In the many names of however love shows up for us today, we thank you for the ways that you've brought us to now. We thank you for a community of people who we're not earning our space with or proving. We thank you for permission to be authentic, permission to be in process. We thank you for equipping us to have the courage to be visible and vulnerable. Thank you that you somehow make our brokenness a safe place for somebody else's story. For all of these things and the goodness that you continue to call out in us, we offer thanks. Amen. Thank you, Kate.
That was so meaningful. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat around a table with his closest followers, his closest friends, including the friend that would betray him. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. took the cup and as he poured it out he said this is my life it's poured out for you do this in remembrance and so what we remember with the bread with the wine is that God's way of being in this world is through love self-sacrifice through service uh, we call this the table of grace um, grace is kind of a churchy word um, really all it is is grace is God saying yes to you so God's grace God says yes to you so when you come to the table to take the elements just remember that God says yes to you you reverse that, what I believe faith is, is us being willing to say yes to God, to life, to reality, to all of this. Um, so I invite you to come to the front and take the food and drink, and take it back to your seat as, as the band plays, and, um, and eat that food and the drink as you feel led, remembering that God says yes to you.